0: Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that we may hear your word with joy. Our Old Testament reading comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Please listen to God's word. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Korah, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because of the forming of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. We continue this morning in the Gospel of John, John chapter 4. This narrative takes place right after the story of Nicodemus we read last week. We'll be reading John 4, verses 1 through 42. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, «Rabbi, eat!» But he said to them, «I have food to eat that you do not know about.» So the disciples said to one another, «Has anyone brought him something to eat?» Jesus said to them, «My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, «There are yet four months, then come the harvest.» This is the word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Last week, we spent some time with the Pharisee Nicodemus. He approached Jesus secretly in the middle of the night because he didn't want the other Pharisees to know he was fraternizing with Jesus. He was searching for God, he was looking for something, but he struggled to really absorb what Jesus was saying to him. Now we see later in scripture that it eventually began to sink in for Nicodemus, but by the end of last week's passage, He was still struggling to move on from his idea of what the law meant to Jesus' radical offering of grace and abundant life. This week's featured actor is dramatically different than Nicodemus. For starters, Nicodemus is named in the text, while our woman at the well is not. Nicodemus comes at night. The woman encounters Jesus in the middle of the day, Nicodemus has a quiet, private conversation, while the conversation at the well is in a public place for all to see. He, Nicodemus, is a powerful man. She is a vulnerable woman. Nicodemus is a Jew. The woman is a Samaritan, an ethnicity looked down on by the Jews of that time. Nicodemus looks for Jesus. The woman at the well is sought out by Jesus. She is exactly the sort of person that an upright Jewish man should not have been seen having a conversation with. And yet, Jesus approaches her and strikes up a conversation. At first, it seems like a pretty run-of-the-mill conversation, Jesus had just had a long, hot journey and needed to rehydrate. There wasn't a CVS to dash into for a bottle of iced tea. He couldn't just find a pot machine to clink a few quarters into for a bottle of water. We have really easy access to water these days in our particular global location. We turn a little knob and fresh water comes out at the temperature we tell it to come out at usually, or we go into one of the plentiful stores available to buy water and other beverages at. You can't walk four blocks in most cities without walking past at least one Starbucks or Crazy Mocha, boasting overwhelming options for hot and cold beverages alike. This was not the case in Jesus' time. You had to get all your water for each day in a big pitcher at the local well. So much like the water cooler is the chat corner meeting place in many a modern office, even more so was the community well in Jesus' time. The women would go out together in the morning and gather the water for the day and then return home with it. They would walk together to get there, and they would spend time in fellowship and community with one another while they were there. But this woman, the one that we meet in John 4, comes during the heat of the day. There is a great deal of speculation about why this is the case. Much of it having to do with Jesus' later revelation that she'd had five husbands and is now living with another man she's not married to. The assumption that is often made is that the other women are avoiding her because she is of questionable morals. But to assume that, is to place our own cultural situation onto a narrative of something that happened 2,000 years ago. Women did not have a choice of who to marry at that time. This woman could have been a widow five times over. She could have been a victim of something called Leveret marriage, where a widow was forced to marry her dead husband's brother in order to carry on the family name. It was possible that the man she was living with was her betrothed, who just couldn't afford a marriage ceremony yet, or perhaps he was the brother of her dead husband and refused to marry her. She might have been barren and therefore a victim of multiple divorces. Women at that time had to find some way to survive when found on their own. Any of those scenarios are more plausible than the fact that she was simply the town prostitute. Note that while Jesus mentions her marriages, he does not mention a specific sin on her part. We discussed on Wednesday in our Bible study time, a woman caught in adultery who the Pharisees wanted to stone. And after challenging the Pharisees and saving her from a gruesome punishment, Jesus mentioned her sin to her and told her not to sin anymore. There is no such command given to this woman at the well. This woman becomes one of the most powerful witnesses in the gospel in Jesus' time. We must be careful not to write her off or to ignore her ministry by making assumptions about a story we are simply not given the details of in this passage. What we can assume from the fact that she is there alone in the middle of the day... Is that for some untold reason, she is not only a woman of an ethnicity that was looked down on, even among the women of her own ethnicity, she was looked down upon. Maybe the other women assumed there was something wrong or cursed about her, that she wasn't favored by God because of her situation in life. But whatever it was, we can say for certain that she was an outsider not just on the edges, but a complete outsider. And whether he is confronting sin, like with the the woman caught in the act of adultery, or he is welcoming in the outsider, Jesus always treats them with dignity. He doesn't shame. He doesn't mock. And the woman at the well is completely blown away by this. She's not used to people treating her in such a way. This conversation is so outlandish. It isn't just unusual. It's preposterous. And the woman tells him so. What is it that compels her to stay and to continue in this preposterous conversation with someone who shouldn't be talking with her? I wonder if when God does preposterous things in our lives, Do we stay and enter into the conversation with Jesus, or do we retreat to what's familiar? In embracing this completely ridiculous conversation with a stranger who asks for a cool cup of water, the Samaritan woman's life was transformed. She goes from outsider to apostle, from marginal to evangelist, and from isolated to leader of her community. Her belief in Jesus changes her life in radical, real ways that impact her entire community. How many of us can say that about our own faith stories? She's so excited about this encounter with Jesus that she leaves behind her water jug. That was the whole point of her being at the well in the first place. When is the last time any of us were so excited about witnessing to the gospel that we forgot what we were doing just before that? A simple conversation can change a person's life. In this interaction, Jesus makes himself very vulnerable in order to reach out to someone. He's hot and he's tired and he's thirsty when he comes to this well. The one in a powerful position, the Jewish man, becomes vulnerable to the disadvantaged Samaritan woman. And certainly one important takeaway from this narrative is that we have to be willing to be in community with people the rest of the world around us doesn't want to be in community with for whatever reason. Especially in today's racially and ethnically polarized climate, we have to remember Jesus went out of his way on his journey to pass through Samaria to spread the light. He did not geographically have to go through there to get where he was going, but to show the disciples he meant that he came for the whole world. He had to go through Samaria and show them. And so we have to remember that our black neighbors and our Muslim neighbors and our neighbors who live in government housing and our neighbors of other denominations and faiths our neighbors who live on the streets, and all of our neighbors who look or act differently than we do are just as important as the ones who look or act just like us. You never know who the next powerful witness is going to be. You don't know that the person you're glancing at nervously out of the side of your eye isn't a potential missionary or preacher or elder or Sunday school teacher. All that said, we need to watch out that we are not reading this story and putting our own selves into the role of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we can certainly get ourselves into some of the biggest trouble when we think that we are Jesus in any story from the Bible. Especially during Lent, we are called to reflect on our deep need for this living water that Jesus offers. We are called to take a deep inward look at where we are and at what we've done and to give a cool cup of water when needed. The Samaritan woman did not give Jesus a cool cup of water because she thought she was any better than the thirsty man in need. It wasn't her good deed or her mission for the day. She gave it to him because She was there, and he was there, and he was thirsty, and she had water, so it was the right thing to do. She did not expect to get anything out of this, but by offering the water to Jesus, she received more than she ever could have imagined. We must be willing to stop our daily business, our water gathering, our work, our own interests, to respond to those in need because it is in those moments that Jesus encounters us and offers us a different kind of water, living water, abundant life, healing that does not end. It has nothing to do with what we ourselves have to offer from our place of privilege and everything to do with what we are shown by God, when we act humbly out of service. One of my favorite movies of our time expresses this idea of mismatched perceptions and roles perfectly. And what I truly believe is one of the greatest cinematic masterpieces of our time, titled Shrek, a beautiful princess has been cursed as often happens in fairy tales. And she awaits her true love's kiss to free her from this curse, to free her from the dragon-guarded tower in which she has been locked up. And much to her surprise and disgust, the one who rescues her from the dragon-guarded tower she's imprisoned in is a big, rude, ugly, smelly ogre named Shrek. As Shrek, and Princess Fiona travel to where she's supposed to meet the actual prince who hired Shrek to go rescue her, it is revealed that every night, as part of the curse, and I'm really sorry if you have not seen Shrek yet, because I'm about to give you a spoiler, but every night, as part of the curse, Fiona turns into a big, rude, smelly, disgusting ogre. And she hates this about herself and hides it, from everyone. She sees herself as being so much better than Shrek. But by the end of the movie, Fiona realizes that the prince is a gross, greedy, awful little person. And Shrek is at his core, kind and funny and genuine. She finally has that true love's first kiss with Shrek the ogre. And as the magic begins to swirl around them, It is the assumption that Shrek will now turn into a dashing prince, redeemed by Fiona's goodness and privilege and good breeding. And much to her surprise and everyone else's around them, instead of turning back permanently into a princess beside her handsome prince Shrek, Fiona finds herself an ogre for good. It turns out her happiness in life lies in recognizing that she is an ogre, too. Friends, we are all ogres. We are all the Samaritan woman at the well. We have to remember that Jesus calls us to all people because God loved the whole world. And we need to remember that we are all human. We are not at our core any more Jesus in this story than Shrek is at his core, Prince Charming. This week, may God grant us each the discernment and the perception to see in our day when we might offer a cool cup of water, not because we have some special power to save, but because we expect to meet Jesus at the side of the well. May blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen.